0: Okay, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. This is the third episode from the Chronological Old Testament series where we are reading the entire Bible in order of events on a timeline. My name is Joanna Joe Smith. I'm your host on this journey to discover the truth about the Bible, but you can just call me Joe. Now let's get into it, but before we do is a quick recap that we need to do. Episode one, we asked, what do you believe? And we understand that it is important to define our belief because if you believe in something strongly enough, you will give your life for it. And you may even take life for it, too. So um, the least we can do is know God's name and what he said for ourselves, since we say we believe in him. All right. We define the name of God in the Bible, or we defined it in episode one as Elohim. We define the Lord and the Almighty in the Bible to be El Shaddai, which may mean El Shaddai is the son of God whom Elohim is well pleased with. But Uh, That makes us ask, who is Jesus? So there's a lot of questions that we're discovering and we'll get to that. We understand that El Shaddai is to be treated as Elohim by us when we see God giving El Shaddai the green light to be exalted on earth as Elohim is exalted in heaven in the third commandment, which we went into in episode two. And then episode two, we asked, what's in a name? And we wanted to understand why it was important to make the distinction between God, Lord God, Lord, and Lord thy God from the prior episode. We also learned that names that possess the EL may indicate spiritually connected beings, Who are empowered through the Most High God Elohim. Some who have the EL are third commandment breakers we found out and they take his name the EL in vain so we also now understand that every name is important and that names are words and words turn into phrases which turn into praises which contain promises which are powerful. Yes All right. And so we walked through the lineage of Cain and Seth from Genesis. Also, we clarified um, and defined all the names listed and we read that lineage's intent literally as one statement. And uh, what else did we do? We had an understanding that the winning team and the losing team may both have people with similar names and they may also have L wielding names on both sides that we associate with Elohim, but that they are clearly of two separate agendas. Right. And then we also found some Bible staples. When we talk about Bible staples, we talk about things that are recurring in the Bible that we might need to understand in order to continue to understand this work, all right? The first staple that we came across was that when the Bible has generational lists announced as these are the generations of, we should respect that, maybe even translate the names as they could possibly be insightful as was the line of Cain and the lineage of Seth, right? And then uh, when we have... Uh, we also have the staple of sin taking us out of the presence of El Shaddai, which brings us to the trash. That's our second one, right? And we decided to call the land, all the land that's east of Eden, the trash because there's nothing good that's go- going over there so far. All right. Third thing, uh, Bible staple that we came across God doesn't do third person speech. We learned that as well. Only possessed people. Or vessels of God speak in third person because God is not double-minded or confused about who he is, ever, right? All right, we got another Bible staple, which is namesakes. Namesakes namesakes are important to God, and we take note of the opposition when they try to create things in their name, all right? Keep the third commandment in mind when you see that, when you're reading, and take note when you read um, of God placing, changing, or reiterating names in the Bible, All right, we also took a warning. The warning is to be careful about universal agendas that buck against the 10 commandments in the world that we currently live in. All right, and then our biggest Bible staple that we took note of is the younger brother being favored over the elder brother. It's a Bible sta- staple that we will see throughout this book and that may explain the relationship between Satan and El Shaddai. You remember, I left off with a revelation that Satan and El Shaddai may be a lot closer than we have been taught. And I went as far as to say that they are brothers and that a brotherly rival rivalry makes the most sense as to why they are in a locker room standoff when it comes to Job, which we will go into today, right? And there's a little something to understand. Love and hate almost have to exist together to define each other. And the same goes for light and darkness, good and evil. So it's important to know that they fit in the same space, but those elements cannot dwell in the same place at the same time. All right, so balance is also a Bible staple and it's the one you can first jot down for this week, all right, please remember that we are trying to see if there's any truth to the New Testament being dishonest about Jesus. That's what someone has told me, so we're gonna see if there's any truth by reading our book for ourselves. And if the Old Testament can help us prove any inconsistencies, it will help us do so for the New Testament, right? Because God does not change. And so far towards that, towards our discovery, we have only discovered that Satan moves to and fro and up and down like a crucifix in the earth. That's Job chapter one, verse seven and chapter two, verse two. So it seems like there's one point to yes in the side of Jesus may not be who we were taught. And then there's zero point so far on the no, he's exactly who we know him to be side. All right. And the scale may seem lopsided right now because, you know, we're just in the Old Testament. And so when we get into the New Testament, we may see that scale and that that uh, that uh, that point scale move to the other direction. We don't know yet. We're discovering. We're going through. We're figuring out the truth. We need to know what's the real deal, right? So you guys just hang in there, okay? I'm going to pick us up today in the entire book of Job. I'm not going to do the entire book of Job, but I want you guys to be ready for a ride. So please go get your snacks, go get something to drink. We're going to pick up right at the locker room discussion of Satan and El Shaddai just before Satan goes to attack Job on his everything that he has, right? And I just want to know, I'm sure you want to know, did God bet on his servant, Job? This is the book of Job. Let's go deep inside people stop reading the Bible. Let's open up the Exodus 28 11 They don't understand it. Glory to God. There are so many promises in this book. We gotta get back to telling the truth. John 1633. i told you, to sing so that you may have peace. Nah, I'm not a minister. <laughs> you can't hand on your faith. You gotta get your own. But people just need to see it from a different perspective. God really is good all the time. Remember the lie of God. God says, if He loved me, keep my commandments. I first ask myself, who's speaking? Did you not you? And then everything sounds different from there. But God, but God, does, not God lie. does not lie. lie. I'm Jill, and this is what I found in the Bible. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I have so much to give to your people today, God. I just ask that you be with me. I ask that you be with whoever is in the sound of my voice. I ask that you add a blessing on their life. I ask that you continue to work with me as I work through the work that you've given me. I only hope to please you. I only hope to get a well done at the end of my days. And I pray that um, this is pleasing unto your sight. And I thank you and I bless you. Hallelujah. So first question when we read any book of the Bible is who is speaking. When I go into my Bible survey, I ask who the author of this text that I'm getting ready to view is. And what do we know about him or her? In the case of the book of Job, they don't know who wrote it. I find this interesting because I might propose that Job may not have been a real person, but simply an example of a perfect person for the people of God, us to consider. For this reason, I will sometimes say the character of Job moving forward. I do this because after reading this book, I am of the mind that the book has so little to do with what actually happened and more to do with what is what, what was said happened actually represents. So hear me out. If we walk on this premise, then Job represents the moral of his story, not necessarily the character or its details from a first-person view. The book is essentially a transcript, word for word. It even includes a stutter from God, which makes me think that Moses had something to do with it, but I'm not going to go there today. What I mean by that stutter is if you go to chapter 40, verse 11 and 12, Elohim is speaking, therefore fully aware of what he means to say because he knows all. Why then? Would he ever repeat himself back to back like this? Our God does not stutter, but Moses does, so we'll get to that. But it says, Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold, every one proud, and abase them. Look on every one proud, bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. So the verse back to back is saying the same thing, one elaborated on the other a little more, but it seems like out of God's manner to be repetitive and redundant like that. But anyway, that's just my thought right now. If it were a God-inspired work, then this actually would be easy to achieve. It would be no different from when the authors we have today who seek to help us understand some vision that God has given them write a book. So like Narnia or even screenplays like The Matrix or The Shack, the authors write all the speaking parts and nothing seems to go unsaid unless it's intended. So if this is true or um or but like if this is a true work, um then it means that there were scribes maybe and scribes set to each person that speaks in Job's company, perhaps. And so each would be documenting every single word, therefore they would pick up that stutter as well. Um, he and his friends, um, during that time that they spoke would have a scribe for each of them and Job had money to hire them to do so at one point, but this is a story about him losing everything, even his servants. So I don't know whose scribes would be there. If this was actual, if this really happened, if this was true, um, maybe his boys were just as wealthy perhaps, and they brought their scribes. I don't know. Um, But we do know that other people are there. We do know that. So that's possible. Anyway, let's consider this being a God inspired work because it's a little easier rather than a written testimonial, especially because this whole book takes a third person narrator to read it and everything is written from a third person present perspective, which is different from a third person omniscient um, or omniscient perspective. Because if you write in the omniscient, then it would have simultaneous actions going on from each character. In essence, like you would probably read something that says, while Job spoke, Eliphaz stood. Because that omniscient character can see everybody, right? Or the next chapter of a book or of, of the book might start with, um, meanwhile, as Job spoke, Eliphaz was such such right but it doesn't do that so it's just third person as if they were there as if they saw it themselves um which means they were present and we know Job didn't write it because the pronouns are not first person all right so the person um in this book who writes this book has eyes on Job's at Job at all times which means we can take it as their perception. And perceptions can be deceiving and they can also be biased. So this would mean that we need to step back and process the book of Job more than we need to accept it as a testimony. Now, if you turn to Job 22, 21 with me, we can read, it says, acquaint thyself with him, El Shaddai, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come to thee. This is Job talking. If you go to 22, it says, receive. I pray thee the law from his mouth and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles, right? Tabernacle is like a light movable home. So this is key because to acquaint yourself with El Shaddai is to one, have peace and to be built up or redeemed and to have the immoral or grossly unfair behavior removed from your place of rest and we want that and if Job was written as a fable following the flood of Noah where we left off in Genesis then this passage holds the purpose for this story it comes after chapter 22 verse 15 and 16 which says hast thou marked the old way which the wicked have trodden which were cut down out of time time cut short is being killed right whose foundation was overflown with a flood. So we understand from this that after the that after the flood, we should want to know El Shaddai a little better, especially if it would help us in the way that it says. So this story of Job is a reminder. It is a request that we get acquainted with God and in the God that we serve. And that is necessary because once we know what he's capable of and we know what we are expected to be able to endure without blasphemy against him, we can honor the covenant that we have with him and he can uphold his end of the deal as well, right? Okay, so this is a lesson. As Job says in chapter 35, 11, who teaches, us more, who teaches us more than the beast of the earth and maketh us wiser than the fowls of heaven? Nobody but El Shaddai. A few chapters later, towards the end of the book, El Shaddai speaks through a tornado and agrees with Job and adds to his point in chapter 39, verses 14 through 17, saying how ostriches don't even get this kind of respect. El Shaddai says that the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in the dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them, she is hardened against her young ones as though not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear because Elohim hath deprived her of wisdom. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. El Shaddai is explaining that the ostrich keeps her blessing to be fruitful and multiply without worry of the dangers that surround her babies because she doesn't have the burden of wisdom and she doesn't know evil. She only knows God and therefore good. So if we look at Job in this way a few chapters back, he is like the ostrich too. Chapter 12 verses 9-10 through says, Who knoweth not? In all these, that the hand of El Shaddai brought this, brought this on me, right? In 10, he says, whose hand, the soul of every living thing, and breath of life, and breath of all mankind, right? So he's got the whole world in his hands. Remember that? So it's like Job has no concept of evil or Satan, which is not true. They understand hell when you read the book that, that, that's there. But when it comes to his relationship with El Shaddai, Satan doesn't matter. He only accepts that what comes to him comes from God and therefore must be for his good, no matter how bad. He's fearlessly and perfectly upright carrying his burden, right? So we would have been fearless too if Eve just ate a salad instead of the apple, but you know, here we are. So this book really gives us some uh, eyewitness testimony of El Shaddai's power and it creates an atmosphere for El Shaddai to make a boast Which we can't even hate on because it's true El Shaddai really is all that and then some so when I read Job I just took note on characteristics of our almighty so I can acquaint myself with him and I hope you got your notepads or your apps because um There are mad Bible staples in here, y'all, and I won't cover all of them, but there's a lot for me to cover because I read the whole book this week. So these are things that we can build our Elohim good DNA with, our good DNA chain. That way, when we face the New Testament, we can confirm if he's in it as a pure blood specimen or if the blood has been tampered with by someone. All right. So we got to get acquainted with God in order to be able to defend him and hold him um, upright with that New Testament or to defend the New Testament against what he is and who we know him to be. Learning him from the Job chapter. Right. I'm um, the Job book. So last time we talked about the overall purpose of Job being an example, one example of a perfect servant to shut Satan up by enduring wicked attacks without cursing God. All right. Without blasphemy. And it's evident in Job chapter 1 verse 11 that Satan wants Job to curse El Shaddai, not Elohim. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because Satan wants or Satan knows that Job's personal relationship is with El Shaddai and that Elohim placed El Shaddai as God for the earth and over the humans. Or maybe it's because Satan's beef just stops at El Shaddai. And he doesn't really have one with Elohim because if he beats El Shaddai at this game he wants to play with him, then maybe he hopes El Shaddai would then accept him a little differently. I don't know, but most of the beefs between brothers stem from the parents' love and one of the brothers' misperceptions of it and therefore envy of the brothers, the other brother's receipt of its parents' love. You know, so keeping with my theory that Satan and El Shaddai are brothers, this would make sense. Anyway, after Satan says that El Shaddai is basically coddling Job in order to keep Job faithful to Elohim, he dares El Shaddai to put forth thine hand now and touch all that he, Job, hath. And he, Job, will curse thee, El Shaddai, not Elohim, to thy face, Satan says. I mean, he's just big mad about everything, this Satan guy. But what baffles me was that El Shaddai actually hears him out. He agrees to let Satan test Job. Now, I don't know if that's because uh, if he didn't, he knows Satan would try to torture the innocent on a global level. Or, you know, I mean, because Satan does seem a little easy to tick off and a bit unstable. Um, I don't know if he does this for that. Or if he was just curious as to what Job would do or like... I said last week, if he only just wants to shut Satan up, um, so by having Job endure and praise El Shaddai anyway, he would be able to do that. I mean, they did say that praise confuses the enemy. So it's maybe that. But whatever the reason, Satan is on his way to terrorize Job with El Shaddai's permission once they have this locker room discussion. And just a little side note, can it be that free will is like out of the limit of El Shaddai is like the limit for him and that Elohim is the only one who knows what we're going to do before we do it if so then that curiosity reason that I gave it might have more grounds than I intended for it to have which is interesting but anyway Let's get into some details on what Job had to endure without cursing God on this first round of of Satan attacking him. The first thing was that the Sabians came and rolled up on his 500 oxen while they were plowing. So Job had a lot of land if he had 500 oxen because oxen are like tractors and they help to turn the soil for seeding. Um, And then after they pulled up on his 500 oxen, the Sabians also hit up the 500 asses while they were eating their lunch. So who are the Sabians? Because these are new characters. We have to develop them. Y'all know, I read this like a script. So the Sabians were from Saba, the land of Sheba. Now we also know, or you might not know, but I'm gonna tell you, the queen of Sheba is Solomon's wife, his boo thing. And he at first married her as a truce for uh, for war, I believe. Um, But he ended up really loving her. We'll get to that later. But clearly the Sabians have a beef with God's people. Or Satan wouldn't have been able to use them to hurt Job. So if you look at chapter 6 verse 19 it says that the troops of Tama looked the companies of Sheba waited for them. So when this passage comes up it's like Sheba is a known adversary. So we'll just put a little note in our mind and come back to it when we get there in Solomon about the queen of Sheba. Um it's interesting excuse my yawn guys it's like five in the morning and i have a baby so i didn't get much sleep but i need to do this glory to god second thing was um the part that we read last week the fire of elohim fell on job's sheep and burned up all the servants and the sheep okay so we read that third thing that happened to job was that the chaldeans From the Nestorian church. A.K.A. the church of the east. And we know from last week. The east is the trash. Right in the bible. That's where all the bad things go. They brought a three band attack. On the camels. Carried them out. And killed the servants with the swords. So let's wait here. While I explain that. If you google the Nestorian church. It's going to say the church of trash. I mean the east. (laughs) I mean anything east of Eden. Right. And that the founder. In interestingly enough, is Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Now, y'all know, we're gonna to get to the bottom of the Jesus Christ um, uh, conspiracy theory, all right? And I'm willing to hear the truth. I hope you guys are willing to tr- hear the truth as well. Um, but uh, I just wanna give insight as we go so that when we get to that New Testament, we know what we're talking about. So Nestorius believed that Jesus was fully human and just adopted by God. He's a Roman and so therefore he's part of that whole Catholicism take on God. And I'm going to tell you guys that Catholicism is the one religion that I stay 50 feet away from. It just has way too much controversy to my taste or for my taste when it comes to uh, God. And I'm just going to take notes. It's nothing crazy to go over just yet, but the Nestorian church are the Chaldeans who also are into that Catholicism, and the Chaldeans attacked Job with their three-band army, just like they did in the ninth century when they attacked Assyria, and that led them to ruling Neo Babylon Empire, which yielded to Nebuchadnezzar events eventually. So these are just little facts here, and they were known for their study of the stars as well. So that too. If you don't like my saying the Nestorian Church of the Trash Bot which we established in the east. You can just note the association to Nebuchadnezzar and we can just go with that when we get to it. All right, back to Job. The fourth and final blow, no pun intended, um, is in verse 18 and 19, where a great wind from the wilderness came and smote the four corners of Job's eldest son's home, where all his kids were gathered to have dinner and the house fell on them, all his kids, and they all died. All right, now I want you guys to note the wilderness. It's also a Bible staple. We're gonna to have to gain some clarity for, um. but they use it a lot, all right? So then all this happened and then Job, he was distraught. It says in chapter one, verse 20, that Job got up and he rent his mantle, which means in my Bible that he tore his clothes. Then he shaved his head and then he worshiped. Like how many of us are gonna worship after such a loss like this? I was so floored by that. And then some got to wonder why Job got naked and then cut all his hair off after this. But verse 21 lets us know how he felt. It says he figured, naked, I came out, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. El Shaddai gave and El Shaddai hath taken away. Blessed be the name of El Shaddai. So 22 tells us that this is the perfect upright way to accept strife. It, you got to strip yourself and be ready to embrace a rebirth now if y'all under if y'all need a little more understanding if you saw um legend my son's teshuva or baptism on youtube then you know that water represents the womb and so when he says uh go back to my mother's womb I'll return to it it means he's about to teshuva in which case that means got to get naked to get in the water. All right. And the teshuva in Hebrew is a pivot, right? And it's a redirection of one's life. And in Hebrew, you can teshuva as many times as you need necessary. So the statement is an indication that Job is ready to make a pivot, that El Shaddai has his full attention and his loyalty, and he's ready to be made over and to be put to use. Now, it's important to understand that we need Job to do this. Why? Because Job, Accepting by Job accepting whatever El Shaddai has for him, the true pur- purpose of this book is revealed. We now have information that we need to get acquainted with the characteristics of our God that we, mu- that we might recognize him in our lives and respect him for his power, also. So we get to hear it from Job and his three friends, and eventually Elihu. Um, that El Shaddai, oh, and then El Shaddai himself, I'm sorry, describes how he would like to be seen and we need this Um, and it's in the things that we discover about God that we mark as indicators of El Shaddai and therefore we find ourselves able to differentiate what he would do and what is therefore not of him. So the book of Job is long and I try not to keep you guys too long with these podcasts, but I've read the whole book. So we got to get into some key identifiers uh, for El Shaddai, according to this book. Now, Job is from Noah's son, Shem's line of children, and he resides in Uz. And by him residing there, that tells us that. Now, it's customary for the Bible to introduce a per- person by the land that they come from. The numbers of Job's possessions are also a bible staple you might want to know because the number 10 and therefore 7 3 5 and 2 and 30 are all bible staple numbers so far in the old testament reading from the portion of genesis 1 to 11 and now this book of job we have seen patterns and associations of these numbers in abundance Outside of the ages that people, you know, died or bore children, these numbers come up a lot. And 10 is just like a form of multiplying those numbers uh, that we've mentioned so far. So that's just one side note. If you notice the numbers in Jake and Job's um, flock and stocks when we read uh, the book or when you read the book for yourself. Okay. So we see Job handle the first four attacks with a willingness to have God do what he will with him. But... Satan and El Shaddai have a second locker room chat and because this is the second time oh, excuse me again the second time El Shaddai brags about Job to Satan one of the characteristics of El Shaddai that we need to note is that he brags um, and we're told not to brag as people but El Shaddai brags about Job to Satan And maybe he's just trying to get Satan to see something good and appreciate it, or maybe he's just trying to make small talk, but he is bragging and it's ticking Satan off. So I want to also note that one big characteristic of Elohim and therefore El Shaddai um, is that bragging. And Job explains in chapter two, verse 10, that our God loves symmetry and balance. So balance is also a major indication of El Shaddai. So you can note that as well. Job knows this and he says, um, well, his wife first um, has advised him to just curse Elohim and die because he's going through so much because the second thing that happens to him has to do with his skin. He has boils that come all over it um, and he's got to deal with that. He even says he takes a piece of glass to cut his skin off uh, from the pain and the agony. It's really gruesome. Um, so she says, just curse Elohim and die so he can get over, get it over with. Um, but then he, uh, said to her, thou speaketh as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of Elohim? And shall we not receive evil? And then Job's comment is followed up with, in all this did not Job sin with his lips. So the fact that Job understood that balance and order is the way of Elohim and therefore El Shaddai, he remained clean in their sight, accepting what came to him as the balance of what had been given to him. All right. Then three friends visit Job and their names are noted. First is Eliphaz. He has that L, y'all that we talked about, right? His name means Elohim is pure gold. All right. So maybe that is the moral of the story to the, degree if you have Elohim you have gold you don't need to worry about what was taken from you I don't know the second friend is Bildad and it means old friendship so he represents that I, I was assumed and then the third friend is Zophar which means to leap and that may symbolize what having faith is all about it also means rising early or chirping so you'll notice that it is Eliphaz though who speaks first, and Eliphaz, who is tasked with leading the others in the end for Job's forgiveness, Eliphaz, uh, who is visited by a spirit, um, in chapter four that makes him doubt Job, and Eliphaz, um, it's Eliphaz again who speaks life into Job on more than one occasion. He is chosen. He's chosen by El Shaddai, so that L in his name is real. All right. Okay. So what else do we know about El Shaddai from Job and his buddies? Well, what's this? Chapter 5, verse 20. Eliphaz, he says, El Shaddai is a redeemer. A redeemer. It reads, in famine, he shall redeem thee. All right, that's interesting, y'all, because um that is yet another characteristic of who we believe Jesus to be. So this furthers my question. Is El Shaddai the one who saves us and redeems our sins? Is this why people accuse the Jesus story of impersonating him in the New Testament. I don't know, y'all. we on a journey, all right? But look here in chapter 13, verse 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, he also my salvation for an hypocrite shall not come before him. Mm. What's going on here, y'all? The name Yeshua Is God saves. Yehoshua. God is my salvation. Yehoshu tenu. Elohi teshuati. God of my salvation. Alright, so we write God of our salvation in our characteristics list because that's who El Shaddai is. So we mark that El Shaddai could be Yeshua because It says he's the God of the salvation, which is what Yeshua means. So who is Jesus? I don't know. We're going to get to the bottom of it, y'all. This is just either the Old Testament proving the New Testament right, or it's the Old Testament proving the New Testament wrong. We don't know yet. We just know that these fellas, El Shaddai, um, see El Shaddai, Job and his friends, as a redeemer, and a savior. And they have a deep enough relationship with him to hear his voice. So I'm gonna take them as having some credibility with that. I don't know, but it's getting good. And what else do we know of El Shaddai from this story? Well, in chapter 15, verse 15, Eliphaz tells us that El Shaddai is more more pure than the angels in heaven. It says, behold, he putteth no trust in his saints Yay. The heavens are not clean in his sight. All right. So we can mark that El Shaddai is also holy. All right. We have that he brags that he's a redeemer, that he's a savior and that he's holy. All right. And what does Bildad and Zophar tell us about their image of El Shaddai? Well, Bildad says that El Shaddai has plans for the wicked. He says in chapter 18, verse six, the light shall be it dark in the wicked's tabernacle and his candle shall be put out with him alright so he understands that the battle against the wicked El Shaddai would put out the wicked's light alright Zophar says in chapter 20 verse 5 that the triumphing of the wicked short and the joy of the hypocrite for a moment so we also know that El Shaddai is against the wicked. That's another characteristic. And let, and we can add um, to our Bible staples list as well because we also want to add that the battle of light versus darkness is a critical Bible staple. We can look at chapter 25 uh, where Bildad tells us more about El Shaddai and his light when we get to verses two and three. It says, dominion and fear reverence with him. He maketh peace in his high places. There is, oh, I'm sorry, is there any number of his armies and upon whom doth not his light arise? So we now know that El Shaddai has armies and that his light rises on everyone. No one can escape his light, all right? Then Job tells us in chapter, uh, in the chapter before it, 21 verse 1 el shaddai is a keeper of the times it says why seeing times are not hidden from the almighty do why seeing times are not hidden from the almighty do they that know him not seek his days got it okay So we can write that down, that El Shaddai is a timekeeper. And in this verse, it's saying, why, if you know that the times are not hidden from them, do those who know him not seek out his days, all right? Seek out, pay attention to, all right? We got another Bible staple in chapter 24, verse 7 and 10, and it's nakedness. So we talked a little bit about that with Job, but we know that nakedness is Adam and Eve thing as well. And it regards shame and vulnerability. That's what nakedness really means. And it's all throughout this book, um, the Bible itself. So you want to write that down as a Bible staple. Okay, so back to more characteristics of El Shaddai. If we go to chapter 27, verse 2, Job says that God liveth, hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty hath vexed my soul. So Elohim lives. He's alive, and El Shaddai convicts the soul, all right? So our God is alive and well, y'all, and he convicts the spirit. Those are more characteristics about him. Yet another Bible staple comes up too. Here we go. If you see in chapter 31, verse five through eight, Job is willing to accept a customary punishment from God described here. It says in verse five, if I have walked with vanity or if my foot have hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance, that God might know mine integrity. If my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart walked after mine eyes, and if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, let me sow and let another eat, let and yeah, let my offspring be rooted out. So the staples are vanity. You will hear that vanity comes into the Bible book many times. It's what we fight against, our own vanity. We want to love and need God for something other than what he can give us. Some of us only consider God so that we can get uh, to what we've been told is heaven, the mansion, the gold streets, the pearl gates. Y'all might want to listen to my podcast on heaven for some revelations about that and what heaven really is anyway. Um And while it may be nice, what if we just unconditionally loved God like he loves us? All right. The next is balance, which you should already have. That's another Bible staple. And the last is the verse eight in its entirety, because having to sow a field for another to eat and having your offspring cut off is truly a sentencing from Elohim and El Shaddai. It's a staple sentencing. And you will see it reoccur. Um, It's part of their DNA. One of the reasons I'm pulling um, closer to God in these crazy times is for my children's sake. I know what prayers have done for my peace and I want that for them, okay? So what does Job and his friends tell us about God and El Shaddai's character? Oh, wait a minute, chapter 32. We got Elihu. Y'all peep the L again, right? Okay, Elihu is a young bystander, one who has been listening to Job maintain his innocence while his three friends insinuate that sinners should repent and let El Shaddai redeem them as a way of saying that none of this could happen to Job if he was truly innocent. But here is Elihu, El-I-U, all right, who, whose name means he is my God. He's the son of Barak-El or Baruchel, which means one that bows before God. And he was meant to be there with Job and the others in this moment, even if only to reiterate some Bible staples and godly characteristics. So let's read a little of verse two through six, all right, in that chapter 32. Verse two says, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Berachel, the buzite of the kindred Ram. Ram is supposed to be a, an ancestor of David from First Chronicles and Ruth. Not sure if that's the same one, but um, he's in there. Anyway, it says, um, against Job was Elihu's wrath kindled because Job justified himself rather than Elohim. Elihu feels like Job went hard Um, For Job but never got to the point of why God would allow this to happen to him And then he said and then it says that also against Job's three friends Was Elihu's wrath kindled because they had found no answer and had condemned Job Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they Job and his friends older than he When Elihu saw that no answer in the mouth of three men then his wrath was kindled so let's take a step to understand wrath all right so wrath is interpreted most times as a strong and vengeful ang- vengeful anger but wrath is also a divine chastisement so when we are righteously angered there is a little there's little reason for someone to like contest that so Elihu he's not picking a fight here he's raising awareness but it's in verse 6 that we see our next note All right, and Elihu, son of Barachel the Buzite, answered and said, I young and ye very old. Wherefore I was afraid and dare not show you my opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But a spirit in a man and an inspiration, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. So we see here that it's a Bible staple to have the youth stand in the place of the old so that the almighty El Shaddai would be glorified. Also, that whatever wisdom the child has must come from God and that God will use a child to humble those that think they are wise, who are really just old and stuck in their ways. This is a Bible staple of God, being no respecter of person and desiring the elders to look to the children for inspiration on how to come into the presence of God. Teachable and fearlessly ready to obey. That's the way, all right? So what else does Allah show us about our God? Chapter 33, verses 15 through 17 explains that God speaks in dreams and gives us purpose through visions. Why? because if you can clearly see anything you can manifest it so Elihu says in a dream in a vision of the night when deep sleep falleth upon men in the slumberings upon the bed the he then he Elo- elohim openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction that he may withdraw man purpose and hide pride from man he keepeth back man's soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword so this tells us we are given purpose through our dreams and our visions and that elohim does this because when we have purpose our pride oh, excuse me is hidden we go about life executing towards the purpose of it rather than exalting ourselves for ourselves, so purpose makes us um, of applicable use to others, or at bare minimum to God. Um, so it takes taking our selfishness out of us, right? Because we want to complete our task, we want to complete our purpose, and helping us lead a life of service um, is what it does. And it is that kind of life that keeps our souls from the pit, like chapter thirty-three, verse twenty-eight says. Elohim will deliver man's soul from going into the pit and his life shall see the light the light of God So Elohim keeps us from dying by violence in the flesh and condemning the soul to the pit Which God does not desire for us. So God speaks in dreams and visions He's also a deliverer and that's another characteristic that we can list Now some quick hits because I've been with you for a minute and I know you guys want to go I'm going to try to get to the end very soon. Just bear with me. Okay? Chapter 34, verse 10 says, wickedness is far from Elohim and iniquity from the Almighty. That's paraphrased, but I want you to know that that they are good. 34, verse 21, uh, they also see. It says, for God's eyes upon the ways of man and he seeth all his goings. All right, 34 through 29, God is permanent. It says, when God giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth face, who then can behold or look upon him? Right, thirty-seven, six through thirteen says that he is sovereign, meaning he is self-sufficient in his rule, and he actually doesn't need us. He just wants us. Elihu says, "If thou sinneth, what dost? What doest thou uh, against God? Or that thy transgressions be multiplied? What doest thou unto him?" If thou be righteous, what giveth thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? And y'all can finish that in your own time. But it's basically saying, don't think you're doing something for God by by doing something for God. All right. Listen to me. Everything you do for God, you do for your offspring who get blessed by you and through you. All right. But God doesn't need you. All right. Okay. So I want to touch on two points um, to take from Job before I go as well. The first is what kind of person Job is. The second is how God sees himself. All right. So the book of Job is key to getting acquainted with El Shaddai. There are three moments that Job really impressed me with his character. In chapter three, verse 26, Job says he never ran, never will. Basically, he He's not even bothered by anybody. His friends are accusing him and he wants to make uh, one thing daggone clear. And he says, I was not in safety. Neither had I rest. Neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. He is saying he didn't play it safe with God. He wasn't lazy about his love for him. And he wasn't um, loving God in secret or quietly. But that didn't protect him from this okay and it just um it it just isn't the result of of he's basically saying this isn't the result of hiding um coasting through life or privately loving god he he's not being punished for that he's saying he said um and that's and that's what he means and when i read that i was like okay joe well, you know we all can get it is basically what you're saying and i feel you right so Job is um so willing to take his blows to the face. And I think that that's important for us to understand. All right. Also, if you go to chapter 23, verse 12, this imagery from Job is so powerful. He says, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary, more than anything I need. Do we do that? We want the esteem Job had. the eyes of el shaddai but do we esteem the word of god more than our needs you know last one about job and then we'll talk about el shaddai and how he would like um, us to take note of him all right and then we'll be done for today so chapter 26 verse 14 job has just gone through the creation story beautifully when you have time you got to read it um but from verse 7 um it says Uh, that God stretcheth out the north uh, over the empty place, hangeth the earth upon nothing. What a mighty God we serve, right? And we can speak of all the wonders we know, we know, but it's Job's understanding of God that made me understand God's favor over Job, especially in verse 14 of chapter 26, where he says, where Job says, lo, these parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. So how small is the this small part that we know compared to all of whom El Shaddai is? Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it's amazing. But let us continue. It says, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? So outside of thunder, how can any of us grasp the true power of El Shaddai? And I love that. Oh, and before I move on to what God is proud of, I wanna add one more characteristic. This is in chapter 37, verse five. It says, God, Elohim, thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which we cannot comprehend. All right, so God has a voice of thunder. That's another characteristic. Okay, then we get to chapter 38 and El Shaddai chooses to speak through a whirlwind. And I would love for y'all to read 38 through 34 um and hear from el shaddai what he is proud of what he considers masterpieces that should speak to his power right we want to get acquainted with him now i won't read it all but i i want i want to let you know that it's in these few chapters that el shaddai calls attention to the harmony of the stars, oh excuse me of the morning stars that made the sons of elohim shout for joy that's in chapter 38 verse 7 i want to note that The morning stars were made by elohim because that is one of the stances that people take against jesus being um, a true story They use the quote from revelations to say that jesus admits to being the morning star as in admits to being the devil so Not saying that I agree or not yet because I am going to read through I'm, just saying that I I came to find out. So i'm taking this as a note um back to el shaddai bragging when he certainly can I mean, which he certainly can, um, because he deserves it. He points out that he made the boundary lines for the sea in chapter 38, verse 11. He takes pride in the creation of weather, the rain, the snow, the thunder, and lightning. That's in chapter 38, verse 25. He takes pride in his uh, uh, provisions and his ability to provide for everything, from the lion to the raven. That's in chapter 38, verses 39 through through 41. And um, the wondrous beasts he's created, like the brave horses that go into battle fearlessly in chapter 39, verses 21 through 22, and the mammoths like behemoth of chapter 40, verse 15, and like the mighty dragon, Leviathan, um, which is all of chapter uh, 41. The Lord, El Shaddai, challenges us to find another. Who can create as he does. When he boasts of these wonders. It's it's like amazing. And like I said. We're not mad because all praises are due. To the most high God in El Shaddai. I mean do you believe this? Do you know this? Do you know this God? The God who is a giving. Balanced. Boastful redeemer. A savior who is holy. And against the wicked. With armies at his command. Whose light no one can escape and who sees all and keeps all time who convicts the spirit and speaks in dreams where he doles out purpose through vision whose voice is thunderous and who is alive who is good and who is permanent do you know him like job knew him i hope so because it's not about whether god actually bet on his servant or not no The book of Job is whether you know without a shadow of a doubt that if ever God wanted to prove Satan wrong, could God place his bet on you? Thanks for rocking with me this week, you guys. I know it was a lot and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Some messages will be longer than others, but they all will be what all I have to share when I have to share it right and I thank you for helping me be obedient in that way share this with someone you know may appreciate it hit me during the week if you on social media if you have any questions you can also email me if you have questions or comments Um, the contact info will be right after I close out and you can leave a a voicemail message as well on 3132 the VLS and um, next I'm heading back to Genesis if you want to keep following along Uh, apparently we need to go to chapter 11 and get the reading about that. So, um, it's just one chapter as opposed to an entire book. Um, but I have, uh, if I have something to bring, I'll definitely bring it. And if not, I won't be bringing it. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, I love y'all, but God loves you way more than me. And I thank you for listening. The Book of Joe is but a portion of a family ministry called the Black Love Smiths. To follow the Black Love Smiths, you can do so at Black Love Smiths on Instagram or Facebook. To get into contact with Joe, please email bookofjoe at gmail.com. God bless you.